here, but I have a trusty Bible here on my phone as well. So um, we're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, near the end of chapter 1, starting at verse 23. I don't have page numbers, but I have great confidence that you'll better look that up. Um, and then we're going to read uh, chapter 2 down to verse 11. Right. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 23. I call God as my witness, and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith that you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Good morning to you. If you're watching on the live stream, great to have you with us as well. Uh, let's pray as we uh, uh, think about uh, getting into this word um, from the scripture. Father in heaven, uh, we... Thank you so much for um, the uh, fact that you've drawn us together this morning to praise you, to encourage one another, to hear from your word and to respond to your word uh, with uh, faith and obedience. Father, we pray now that uh, by your word and spirit that you would be uh, informing our minds and changing our hearts that uh, we would be people who live more in conformity to your will. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A man who I knew was very heavily involved in his local church. He was a guy who was very active in 
gospel ministries and gospel activities. And he was very, he was highly respected uh, within the congregation uh, of which he was part of. In fact, uh, he, uh, I recall him being very, uh, very kind and very uh, generous towards myself personally. Uh, I had a high regard for this man. And so I was saddened to hear that he had become the, the centre of uh, what was a significant division uh, within his church. Uh, for what had happened is that it had become known that uh, he had been involved in some uh, rather serious sin over a long period of time. And at first the minister of the church with a couple of the elders uh, met with him to talk through the matter, uh, to raise the issue with him, to uh, try to work it through so that he might uh, uh, repent. But uh, instead of finding him to be humble on the matter, they found that he was uh, very defensive, uh, very defensive about it, and that uh, he then escalated the matter. Uh, eventually, um, because he was so popular within the congregation, he managed to uh, draw a group of supporters around him and the, then the entire eldership of the church became involved. But not all of the elders, uh, because of their relationship with him, not all of their relation, the elders wanted to pursue the matter any further. They wanted to, uh, to drop the matter. And so it became a conflict uh, both within the congregation as a whole and a conflict within the eldership as a smaller group of leaders. In other words, uh, there was now a, a church that was very, very divided. Now, no balanced person enjoys conflict. And so when serious sin is exposed... Um, what is the less painful option of um, responding? Uh, is it to, um, to sweep the matter under the carpet? Uh, is it to bury your head in the sand and just hope that it will go away? Uh, some people say that the, the best thing to do is to just simply forgive the person, uh, move on and enjoy the unity in the church... And I guess it's hard to argue against forgiveness, isn't it? But what about repentance? And what does it mean to be uh, truly united as a congregation of God's people? Now, these questions are just as relevant to us today in our context as they were uh, in the church in Corinth 2,000 years ago, as we'll see in our passage today in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. There were huge problems in the Corinthian church. We know from the, Paul's first letter uh, to them, uh, 1 Corinthians, that uh, there was a man in the congregation who was um, having an, uh, an adulterous relationship with the wife of his father, in other words, with his, with his uh, stepmother, and the congregation seemed to be tolerating that. Uh, there was someone else in the congregation who was suing another member of the congregation in a court over financial matters and 
they seem to be tolerating that as well. And there, that was along with a, a, you know, a significant number of other issues. And so, as we saw last week, uh, after Paul had uh, concluded his initial church planting ministry in Corinth, he had relocated to Ephesus, but because of uh, what he had heard, the reports that he'd heard from Corinth, uh, that he had to make a special urgent visit to Corinth to try to uh, work out some issues with them because things had gotten so bad. Now, when a Christian in love uh, rebukes a fellow Christian over a matter of sin, uh, it can get tricky, can't it? It can get tricky. And uh, what we're always praying for is that the person who's being rebuked will, um, will be humble about it, that they will uh, accept the rebuke, they'll accept responsibility, and that they will repent. But that does not always work out that way. Uh, they may reject the rebuke. And to get away from the, the real issues of them and their sin, they then turn the heat on the person who's uh, giving the rebuke. Um, you know what they say, if you don't like the message, what do you do? You, you shoot the messenger, don't you? You shoot the messenger. And what, it seems that this is what has actually happened to Paul uh, when he made that uh, urgent visit to Corinth. Uh, this is what has happened to Paul from uh, one man in particular, uh, in the Corinthian congregation, uh, who it seems had uh, uh, tried to had discredited Paul, who had uh, uh, ran Paul down, who had uh, damaged, said things about Paul so as to damage his credibility, uh, to damage the respect that people had for him within the congregation, so that people uh, turned against Paul. And you can see how that changes things, can't you? because it means that the real issue of the person's sin, whatever that particular man's sin was, or whatever the issue that he was so upset about Paul with, uh, that the real issue of that man's behaviour towards Paul, the real issue of that man's sin, uh, be kind of fades into the background so that the issue becomes about Paul himself and whether or not Paul is credible, whether or not... Paul has apostolic authority, whether or not his apostolic authority as a messenger from God is to be respected. And that becomes the bigger issue because why would people listen to what Paul has to say about other issues if they don't respect his apostolic authority? Now, uh, last week I mentioned that Paul, having returned from that urgent visit back to Ephesus and having promised them that he would come back and visit them twice, that he made a decision to cancel that, uh, you know, his visit to the Corinthian church and to send them a letter instead, uh, a letter which uh, no longer exists, a letter which we see from what Paul says elsewhere about that letter was a, a rather severe letter and in fact, he tells us a little bit about that letter in chapter 2, verse 9, if you've got uh, that open in your Bibles in front of you. Take a look at what he wrote in verse 9 about the letter that we don't have. 
And he says, the reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Now, what does that mean? That they should, he wants to, he's, he's testing them. He wants to see if they will stand the test and whether or not they will be obedient. Think about it this way. It makes sense for Paul not to visit the Corinthians as he had planned to if they would not listen to him. And so it seems uh, from what we piece together from other uh, things that are said that, that his letter to them, this severe letter, in this severe letter that he had instructed them to take disciplinary action against the person who had been undermining his apostolic authority. And he was testing them to see if they would actually respect his apostolic authority and do what he had told them to do. That was a severe letter. And it seems from uh, later on in 2 Corinthians that, you know, what it's like if you, you write a letter to someone and you... And then you put it in the, mo- in, the, in the mail or you press the send button and then you're kind of worried about how they're going to react to it. You ever been there? I, I, I have a policy. I, I write the letter that I put in my drawer for a day or two before I think about sending it out. But it seems that Paul uh, uh, was a bit worried about their response to his letter, how they would take it. But there is good news on this front. And the good news is that under God the Corinthians received that letter very well. And we know this from what Paul says later in, uh, in chapter 7, where he recounts uh, how he felt when uh, his friend Titus uh, returned from Corinth and reported to him how they had taken that severe letter. And that uh, Titus had, t- had told him, that the Corinthians were very sorry for the way that Paul had been treated and for their tolerance of that and that they truly loved Paul and that they had repented of their tolerance of the the man's behaviour, which means that they had disciplined the man who had undermined Paul. So what was the result of that discipline? Well, come with me to verse 5. I want to read these verses for you again. Where Paul writes to them, If anyone has caused me grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you. To some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. Wow. You know, sometimes, uh, I don't know if you've come across this or not, but uh, there are people who will try to dismiss Christianity and one of the points that they raise is that they point out that in the Old Testament... Uh, in Israel, when someone did certain sins like um, adultery and whatever, that uh, what was the punishment for that person? That, that they were to be stoned to death and uh, they say to us, how, how ridiculous, you people actually believe that. How could you believe that? Uh, uh, you know, the gospel of... That, that's the nation of Israel. 
and that's about holiness within the nation of Israel in the Old Covenant. Uh, in the Gospel, uh, because of what Jesus has done, in the New Testament we are not a nation, we are a, a, a people of God and church discipline in the New Testament means raising the issue of sin with the person and then if they don't repent, excluding that person from fellowship, from Christian fellowship. And the, the purpose of that, there's multiple purposes of that actually, but the one I want to highlight is so that they will uh, understand that what they're doing is not okay, that they'll understand the, the, and, and feel the gravity of their sin so that they will humble themselves, so that they will become truly sorry, so that they will repent. And if they don't repent, then their exclusion from God's people uh, continues. And that also has the, it has, it has the impact of, of protecting the church because if we tolerate um, sins such as divisiveness, if we tolerate sins such as sexual immorality and uh, false teaching, if we tolerate you know, people just taking other members of the congregation to, to, to court, then what are we saying if we tolerate that? We're saying that's okay. And, and the, and the behaviour then spreads. Um, in Titus chapter 3, Paul says, warn a divisive man once and then warn him again and then after that have nothing further to do with him because their sin will just spread like a cancer within the congregation and become the culture of the church. And so most likely... Uh, this man in the Corinthian church, that is how he'd been disciplined, that he had been excluded from fellowship within the congregation. And praise God, it actually had the desired effect. It caused him to repent. Uh, in fact, far from, um, far from tolerating his behaviour, the Corinthian church was now at risk of, of going too far in the opposite direction, and, and keeping him out in the cold. And yet Paul is persuaded that the man is now truly sorry and has repented. So what should they do now? What comes next? Uh, notice in verse 5 that uh, Paul is Paul's actually quite gentle uh, here. He says, if anyone has caused grief, if anyone, uh, they all know that someone has caused grief. And they know that it's caused grief for Paul. Um, and yet Paul is actually more concerned about the grief that it has caused in the congregation than the grief that it has caused for him personally. But now in verse 7, Paul is concerned that the man himself might be over, overwhelmed by excessive grief. Uh, the word in your uh, NIV says excessive sorrow. Uh, the word in the Greek is exactly the same word as it's, it's translated throughout this whole passage as grief. So there's been grief that's been caused by the man. Grief to Paul, grief in the congregation, there's grief between Paul and the congregation. Uh, 
Now the man has been disciplined. The man is now in grief because he's, he's sorry for what he's done. And Paul does not want that man to be led into excessive grief, um, damaging him spiritually, perhaps even causing him to uh, wander away from the church altogether for no reason because he has repented. I remember a man who had been, <clears throat> had been a, a, a small part of some divisive behaviour in this congregation many years ago. And uh, years later, I met with him um, and I, I gently shared with him how he had hurt the congregation. Uh, he wept. He truly wept. Uh, it grieved him so much to think about the effect of his behaviour on our church. How do we help someone who is grieving? We comfort them, don't we? The man in Corinth had repented. So what comes next? Well, in verses 7 to 8, Paul says it's time for forgiveness. It's time to forgive the man. It's time to comfort him. It's time for the Corinthians to embrace that man and to reaffirm their love for him, which will mean welcoming him back into the fellowship of God's people. Now, imagine if they did not do that. <laughs> imagine if they said, no, nah, look, we, you know, we hear what you're saying, that you're sorry, and, yeah, we, we get it that you, you know, you, you, you're not going to do that again, but, um, uh, quite frankly, you've caused problems in this church before, so we don't want, you know, just stay away, please. Imagine that. That's not godly, is it? For the nature of the gospel itself tells us that when a sinner truly repents, that God forgives and restores that person to relationship with himself. And so too should we. I, I really love that time <clears throat> that I spent with that man who wept over you know, his behaviour in the past here. He wept. We hugged. <laughs> Uh, he was a big guy and uh, we hugged one another and we prayed with one another and it was great. It was fantastic. It was, it was so very healing. In Luke chapter 17, uh, Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him and if he repents, forgive him. Now, it's possible that the uh, Corinthians were uh, withholding their forgiveness of this man um, out of a misguided sense of, uh, of, of being for the sake of Paul. Um, <clears throat> so in verse 10, Paul assures them on this matter. Uh, have a look at verse 10. He says, Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Um, Paul hasn't been able to be there with them for the forgiveness personally to take place, but he's forgiven the man in the face of Christ, in the sight of Christ. And he's done so for their sakes. I wonder if you've ever been sinned against by someone and you have forgiven the person, you have reconciled with the person, 
but people who love you have not forgiven the person for your sake. Oh, that's true with a friend of ours and you know she knows of something that had been done to us many years ago and, uh, and every time we meet her she raises that issue of how dare those people. And it's, it's okay, <laughs> we have forgiven them. You can forgive them as well, it's okay. Here Paul assures them that he has forgiven the man so it's all good and they should forgive him too. And if they had withheld their forgiveness for Paul's sake, well, Paul says that he has forgiven the man for their sake. Did you notice that? What does that mean? What does he say, for their sake? Well, how do you destroy a church? Let me show you a couple of ways. There's one way to destroy a church. What's that called? Blowing it up. (laughs) You can blow it up. You can blow up a church. Here's another way you can destroy a church. What's that? Yeah, that's bringing in the heavy-duty demolition equipment and pulling it apart and knocking it down. That's a couple of ways that you can destroy a church. How, How does Satan destroy churches? I mean, the real church. How does Satan do it? Well... He has a number of different schemes that he regularly employs to destroy churches. Here's a few classic schemes that he employs. False teaching. That'll wreck a church. Sexual immorality in a church. How many scandals have wrecked churches? Greed. You know, financial stuff. Seeking after the things that wrecks a church. And divisiveness. Divisiveness wrecks a church. Divisiveness is like putting a wrecking ball through a congregation. And you know what? The church in Corinth, they had all, all of those things which were going on in their church at one time. And so in verse 11... Uh, Paul says that he has forgiven the man for their sake. Have a look at what else he says. In order that, in order that, Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. And Satan's scheme in Corinth to draw people away from Christ seemed to be on track. This man had been allowed to to damage the reputation of the Apostle Paul and to alienate Paul from the congregation, which also means that it caused division within the congregation. Um, Why is it so important that Paul not be alienated from the congregation? Well, I've already alluded to it, but think about this. There are churches, uh, even today, which teach that you can't believe the writings of the Apostle Paul, that you don't need to believe the writings of the Apostle Paul because some things Paul says are good, other things Paul says are wrong. Uh, What are they saying? They are disputing his apostolic authority. They are saying that the things which Paul wrote are not actually scripture. I tell you this, I tell you this, 
they all end up in false teaching and immorality. Mark my words. Because when you're doing that, you're actually undermining the authority of Scripture itself and undermining the authority of God. Guaranteed. So this man had to be disciplined. And then having repented, he must be forgiven for the sake not only of himself, but for the sake of the church. Because repentance followed by forgiveness is is very powerful to restore relationships between Paul and the man himself, between Paul and the congregation, between the congregation and the man, and within the congregation itself. Because in these kind of situations where there is divisiveness that is in a church, there are always misunderstandings. And there are always relationships which get damaged. And it's often because not everyone knows the full story. And they may have sympathy for the man who has been excluded from the congregation because they've been on the fringe a little bit. They don't know quite what's going on. And they sympathise with him. And relationships are damaged. And so for him to admit his guilt, to repent, and then to be forgiven and welcomed back, wow, how powerful, so healing for all of those relationships in the church, especially uh, the relationship between the church and the apostle who can now deal with the other many messy issues in the Corinthian church. And so what about us? There will come a time when we will have to deal with a serious matter of sin in our congregation, like false teaching or divisiveness or immorality. And this is not a maybe, this is a will be. It will happen, as it has in the past. And we will be tempted to not address the issue because it's hard, because it's difficult. Or even to think that, well, it's not actually loving to address the issue. But our love should first of all be for the honour of God. Our love should be for the gospel health and the witness of our congregation. And our love should be for the person who is sinning. Not that they would continue in their sin. Not that we would tolerate it to be kind towards them. Because that's not kindness. That's not love. That's weakness. But true love involves discipline so that they might repent of their sin, be forgiven by God and restored to fellowship. True love will put the honour of God first 
and the, and the purity of the congregation and the witness of the congregation and the spiritual life of the person at its fore. Let's pray. Father, uh, we have mixed feelings about um, this difficult issue that arose in Corinth. Uh, for it was sin and it broke relationships and it threatened the very core of the church. And yet uh, you have used that uh, to teach and instruct us and to help us to be aware of Satan's schemes that we would not be outwitted by him. Uh, we pray that um, uh, we, we pray that serious sin would not happen in our church, but we know the nature of humanity, of fallenness, and we know to be people to, ex to be ready for it when it happens. And we do pray that um, we would be those who would put our love for you first, love for your holiness, love for uh, the witness of the church, love for the offender, uh, and not be driven by sentimentality or not to be driven by bitterness, by bit, by driven, but be driven by the gospel itself that involves repentance and forgiveness. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.